Hey podcast listeners, this is an upcoming episode of Energy Radio where you get a glimpse into a conversation between myself and CEM's founder, Martin Lensink, where we talk about project development at CEM, how we do it, what we've learned, and our best practices that we bring to the market. Enjoy. Let's just jump right in. Why is project development important? Well, if I think back to when I studied marketing, and I studied the five P's of marketing. Okay. Product, price, promotion, path, perceived value. In our case, price doesn't enter in yet early on, nor does path, because we don't distribute a product. But our product, which is a solution that we're mm. offering a client, and the way we promote it, which we can do during the project development stages. Right. And finally, as they get to know us through those stages, they form a perception of us. Mm. So I think, you know, being intentional about project development allows us to market in all three ways. We're, we're keep working on our solution. We show how great we are. Right. And they perceive that we care and that we're going to keep them out of trouble. Right. Through these, this intentional project development effort. Right. right. And, and why is the, the project development phase important? to a client. Yeah, I think if you're not really deliberate about taking baby steps before you approve 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 million dollars of capital, you're going to get in trouble. Right. Um, and I love to tell the story about a developer was trying to develop a big biomass project, didn't do the early steps, spent $800,000 on engineering only to find out that the whole project was a flop. Wow. But in the meantime, they'd pissed away, or they, they'd gotten rid of $800,000, <laughs> and, but they hadn't gone in baby steps. Right. So they jumped, they were so confident, and they went right to the end step. Yeah. And then, uh, so we want to avoid that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think those, the, the, the big project is obviously what we're all gunning for, right? Our, our focus here is building a more functional world. Mm -hmm. And if, if nothing gets built, you don't bring about more function, right? But you can do you can set those projects up for massive success or massive failure if you don't you know do those early steps properly right right and and i think to your point about you know perceived value i, I love the story of a large uh, paper manufacturer who you know did a large cogen project with us and mm -hmm. they were very clear that that project you know we went with you guys for the engineering because you drove the project development phases right and and Without you know us doing that, the project may or may not have happened, but it certainly you know strengthened our involvement in the project because we were involved so early. Mm -hmm. And maybe talk about that, like your I think for you especially your gravitation towards industrials, and I think your role in being the driver of project development, mm -hmm. and, and 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 why you've needed to do that for clients, like. Because, you know, they're busy doing other things and making a product. and Yeah. And I think that was because in my formative years, not long after graduation, and especially when I was at Union Gas in, in industrial gas sales, I realized right away that you can only sell to people who have a problem. Mm. And the industrials will be quite forthcoming about their problems. Right. So because I like to develop solutions to solve problems, I gravitate to them because, you know, if they don't solve their problems, they won't be there very long. Right. So, 
yeah, it was a natural fit between what I love to do, which is, you know, uncover uh, problems and help identify technology that can solve those problems. In the industrial sector, it's the clearest. And I think also, though, you, you, you're, you're able to hear their problem and identify a potential solution. But I think what you've also done really well is you've, you've pushed towards that solution, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's one thing to step yep. back and do a report and say, Here, here's what you should do. Mm -hmm. And then, but you are always thinking, okay, here's what you should do, and here's the next step. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that. When can we get mm -hmm. the next step done? Mm -hmm. And then when can we get the next step? Talk to me more about that and the, yeah, the and urgency. I, yeah, and I feel quite strongly that the role of the, of the professional engineer, the consulting engineer, is not to just let the client drive what they think is the right solution. I think it's incumbent on us to say, but this is the right way to do it, and right. here's why. Right. And here's how you're going to manage for success. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the box of technology. It's about that system doing something for that customer. And it, and it behooves us to make sure that they put the right thing in. Right. Uh, and we, like, it's, it's incumbent on us. We can't just sit back. We have to right. be very proactive. Yeah, what, what does that practically look like to, to, I mean, we talk about, you know, giving options, but then we talk about making recommendations. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a, a, does a story come to mind or an example come to mind where you had to, you know, be direct with a client about, these are your options, but we think you should do this. A uh, project that comes to mind. Or a scenario that comes to mind. Yeah. Where you so uh, a, a project in Windsor comes to mind where the client's head office in Europe thought they knew what the solution oh, yeah. was. This is a good so I went with the plant manager from Windsor to Chicago and we literally argued all day and I was dead tired at the end about what was the better solution. They thought it was <coughs> one basket of technology, and I was convinced it was a very different basket of technology. And I had to argue with these two Europeans quite strongly. Yes. And in the end, they reluctantly agreed with me, and that system is still running mm -hmm. flawlessly, islanded they today. Like, yes. So, but it was that's a great example. It was very difficult. Yeah. They had options in front of them, and, the, and had had I not spoken up, they would have gone with that, yeah. and they would have had an inferior solution right that they would not have been happy with today and and they would have projected some of that unhappiness probably on us right yeah. so it, that's the whole thing about negligence right you're the sins of omission and the sins of commission like if you don't speak up you're also negligent right, right? so yeah and i think often in our profession people will, will do a report or a proposal and, and it'll have options mm. and it'll stop there and mm. i think that's the one thing you've really taught us well is you put the options together and you put mm. them in front of the customer and then you say if this was my money, I would do this, right. and here's why, right? And I think that next step is really what clients want, is they, we're the experts, that's mm. why they brought us in in the first place. Mm. Now, they may have other factors that we don't know, but as soon as we understand all their factors, we're making a strong recommendation, um, and, and they like that, they like that we do that. Yeah, and, and like two examples come to mind immediately. <clears throat> a customer in Leamington who's gonna put in a six megawatt turbine, and we said, no, I think you should put in two at four. Mm. Or the more classic example is the one in London, right on the 401, where they were going to put a single 15 megawatt machine in. And I said, no, 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 put in three fives. Mm. Like, and for this reason. Right. And that system has been running since, what, 92, 93, still running to this right. day. So, um, yeah, at some point you have to have the strength of conviction yeah. to tell them 
what is going to be the best and why. Right, right. But not give them too many options. Uh, like right. Try to at least give them at least two, preferably three, and be able to articulate the pros and cons yeah. of each. Because yeah. they're going to need to, ar to articulate internally within their organization. Well, did you consider this? Did you mm -hmm. consider this? Like they need to demonstrate they've looked at options. Right. You know, they can't just bring a recommendation. They have to show they've done options. And right. This is the recommendation and here's why. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Um, so let's, so we have a process for project development. Um, I want to kind of unpack that. We call it affectionately the stairway to heaven. Uh, five, we used to call it the five steps to project development. One of our partners pointed out it probably should be the five landings. Um, because it's more than five steps. Um, but it's really this process of, of, of migrating a project through uh, the early stages, really prior to approving capital, right? Mm -hmm. And this has kind of just been developed through what's worked for us. Mm -hmm. um, so why don't you walk us through kind of how you do each of these steps um, and, and what the goal is and what the deliverable looks like? So yeah, the, the first step I call, or we call, the back of the napkin. <coughs> um, it's really an estimate of annual savings or revenues. Um, and I think the, the point there really is, well, it's twofold. It's we don't spend a whole lot of time and money, but we're trying to help the customer determine, does this project warrant a look at all? Like, does it warrant for more effort? But it also does two other things. It gives us a chance to differentiate ourselves from our competition who don't lead with the business case. We do. We learned that early on that at the end of the day, customers don't really care that much about technology. They sure do care about the business case. Right. Uh, so it gives us a chance to lead with our strength. And it also gives us a chance because, uh, you know, at this stage, pre-CapEx approval, it's still dating. Right. And so we want to find out in the course of doing this, you know, in the old days, it was going to the whiteboard and doing these six or seven governing equations that drive EBITDA. Um, we want to find out if this is a quality client or not. Right. So it's it's it serves a twofold purpose. It's um, really to show them that we understand the drivers in the business case, um, but it also gives us a chance to sort of decide like. Yeah, and and I think it sometimes we we kind of skip over this step, and I think it's because we we we. We just do it so intuitively, mm -hmm. right? Like we can, we can go into a site, go into a facility, uh, or even even we understand the macro environment. If you look at here and now, mm -hmm. the carbon tax and gas pricing, electricity pricing, we we kind of know that in Ontario, cogen maybe doesn't make sense anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so we we can it's it's a really quick way to screen stuff out. We can say to clients, listen, it's not worth going to the next step because we just know this is not, mm. you don't have a heat load, so it's not a site, a site for cogen mm. or, you know, you're never, it, it's a really quick litmus test before you go further. And it's, it's, it's important to do, but it's something we often do intuitively, right? Yeah, and I learned it early on from a big paper maker east of Toronto, who we did this big behemoth Excel workbook. And she just took me to the cleaners and said, no, Martin, like, Dumb it down for me, mm. like one page. Right. Show me easy. Yeah. Uh, and then you know we have, we've had that with many clients. They 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 have so many things on their plate. If we can just just make you know by hand almost. Right. Here's the quantities. Here's the unit prices. Here's the the savings or the O and M costs. Real simple. Right. right away, we're instilling confidence in them right. that we understand the drivers 
Yeah. Because we don't want something to not perform financially. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a good transition to the second stage, which right. is the one pager. So if we've passed this kind of back of the napkin litmus yeah. test, then you know, then we're as we call it, going to the whiteboard, right? And, yeah. and y you have a, uh, I think a phrase from an early mentor or something that talks about if you can't go to the whiteboard and don't you have a phrase about about that? Uh, <laughs> you, it, like you need to be able to go to the whiteboard and, and, and do the economics by hand yep. of whatever the project is yeah, on, on one piece of paper. Yeah. Whereas the second phase, now we're getting a little more granular. Right. We're creating something a little bit more helpful, an Excel sheet right. with technical assumptions, financial assumptions, those same equations that derive EBITDA. Well, the, yeah, just not to get ahead of ourselves, the one pager really is where we start to look at those initial equations. Right. right. Where we're, we're on one piece of paper, we're, we're actually like grade 12 calculus show, yep. showing our math, right? Right, that's and, right. Um, and to your point, I think that's, that's what we were kind of transitioning in this conversation to that, like that to go out and, and just say to them, listen, it's, it's this many kilowatts times this many hours, you know, in a year times mm -hmm. this price of displaced power. Like, mm -hmm. and I think what that often has provoked is, well, that's not right. We don't pay that for electricity. Right. Right. And you get them engaged early on. Yep. Something they can latch onto, and then they then they understand. Okay, that's the driver, or that's mm -hmm. the driver, or oh, you made an assumption for capex. Mm -hmm. Oh, we better look into that a little bit more. Right. right. Yeah. That's right. And then th and that opens up the discussion right away to things like you know are there incentives available are there tax credits available uh, you know what else can drive the business right. case yeah yeah um, yeah yeah it really sets the stage for kind of the next step which is this proof of concept assessment right, right. POCA um, for a while we called it a preliminary engineering study right w what are we doing in that POCA stage that we're not doing in the one pager. And now we're starting to um, look at the three legs of the tripod at a high level. Is this technically feasible? We think it's financially feasible, but can we implement it? Uh, so it's, I like to think of it more as a fatal flaw analysis. Mm. Like, are there things that we say, oh crap, like right. we haven't thought about this. Right. Um, you know, we recently did a big solar thermal study, and then we find out, oh, there's no heat load in the summertime. Right. Uh, oh, I guess we should have thought about that early on. Right, right. Or I'll never forget St. Michael's Hospital, downtown Toronto. Um, you know, we were going to do a big, huge study, and then, you know, some one, an air noise consultant and an air consultant said, well, that's not possible given the location. So that project was not even implementable at all. Right. So we're trying, again, this is showing the customer how good we are by looking at what things might throw this thing sideways. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing a very, you know, it's f some people call it FEL1, where uh, it's an AAC f class five estimate, plus minus 50%. We're doing hardly any engineering, less than 5%, two or 3% right. of the engineering, maybe a simple process flow diagram, but it's really geared at is there something we haven't thought of? And because we're showing the customer that we're not pulling too much money out of them yet. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's things like, another one is is looking at electrical interconnect capacity. Right. If it's, if it's a generation project and we're going to run in parallel with the grid, you know, is there capacity or is this a non-starter because the grid is just overloaded? Right. right. Um, I'm trying to think on a biogas or an RNG job, you know, 
are, do you even have feedstocks? Do you have right. them continually? Right? Like it's those. It's it's not you know the one pager kind of proves that there's a business case, mm -hmm. but then to your point, the next phase is okay. But is there anything that's relatively obvious technically that might kill this project? Right. Yeah, and again on the dating because we're now on our mm. third or fourth date, and you use the phrase trusted advisor. Right. Here we have a chance with this fatal flaw analysis to really demonstrate that we can be and want to be trusted advisors. We want to keep them out of court. Right. We want to have no fatalities. Uh, can you see that we really care about the oh shits, the things that could make the project go sideways? And I think it's a good, it's, it's kind of the first good example of what um, a, a colleague of ours used to say, which is good engineering saves you money, right? right? Yeah. To spend ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on a fatal flaw proof of concept yeah. that identifies a fatal flaw, mm -hmm. avoids you know, jumping right into a $250,000 fee assignment mm -hmm. where you still find that same fatal flaw, but you've mm -hmm. spent you know, 10 times the money. Right? Right. So it's, it's, it's spending money in the right place that then can save you, you know, further development money if there's not mm -hmm. a project, right? Yeah. So what, what typically do you deliver to a client at this proof of concept fatal flaw? Like you mentioned process flow. Are there other kind of deliverables or report? Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small report. Uh, it's got the PFD. It's got the, um, it might have a very preliminary heat and mass balance diagram. Mm. Uh, very crude design basis. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Uh, but it, it's really a glorified professional opinion letter that we're in the form of a small report, proof of concept assessment, preliminary engineering study, what you, whatever you want to call it, uh, with really recommendations on what we should do next. Right. I think that's the real focus is, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to go further, right. you know, we've only pulled 10 or 20K out of you, but if you want to go further, here's what we think you should do next. Right, right. Yeah, and I think from there, so that's kind of the third step or the third landing. Mm -hmm. And then we have the two the two other steps are, are a detailed engineering study and then front-end engineering and design. And I think sometimes you skip one to go to the other. Yeah. Um, but I think they're, they're, talk to us maybe about the detailed engineering study and, and how that has, has served us well and more importantly served our clients well. Yeah, and having said that, what we've also learned about the shortcomings of jumping from a detailed engineering study right to the project, mm, right, right? Right. So, um, yeah, the, f the fourth step on the stairway to heaven, I call it schematic design. Some people call it a detailed engineering study. Right. Um, you know, it really is a proper, in the old-fashioned way, a proper feasibility study. Right, right. Uh, so now we're trying to improve the accuracy of the business case. We're getting CapEx a little bit better. Yeah. We're getting EBITDA a little bit better. Uh, it's Some people call it conceptual engineering. Um, we're starting to develop the scope a little bit more. So here, some people would call this FEL2. Right. We're trying to get to an AACE capital cost estimate of say a class four. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. We're only doing still only somewhere five, six, seven, at most 10% engineering. Um, but we're getting sort of that plus or minus 30% cap, capital cost right. estimate accuracy. Uh, and we're probably maybe engaging contractors to kind of, and, and equipment OEMs to kind of firm up some pricing. Yeah, we're getting budgetary proposals for equipment. We're doing some bills of material, hopefully, and we're getting some contractors to give us installation estimates. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and we're typically packaging that up, 
into a, a more more comprehensive report. Then. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, easy to read, starting with conclusions. Right. Um, we don't want to be excessive at this point. Right. right. Um, I've been told too many times over the years that um, some of the detailed engineering studies that I've done are just way too voluminous. Okay. And right. uh, you know, I didn't want that much. Right. So we have to be able to. We're still building on the technical feasibility, the financial feasibility, the implementability, but we're giving them more confidence that this is an, a doable project. Right. Uh, right. And that the capital cost we have some feel for. And, and it's always, you, you mentioned not being too voluminous or detailed, but I think that's why an executive summary is helpful because some people just want the executive summary, but mm -hmm. the development phase is, is about bringing all stakeholders along, right? Mm -hmm. And so a plant manager might want the executive summary, but the plant engineer, mm -hmm. he cares about, you know, a lot more of the details or the operators, they mm -hmm. care about, you know, well, what PLC are you going to put into this plant, right? right. And so right. Yeah, you have to be thinking about, okay, I, this person wants this, but this person wants this. And, and if I don't kind of give everybody what they want, then, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to derail the project. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you could have some operator who just says, you know, I'm not. I'm not do. I'm not going to run this thing, and and then you might build the project but not have it run successfully. So right. there's that process of keeping everybody engaged, right? Yeah, and and here in in terms of dating, we're again getting to know the customer better. Do they have their own engineering standards? Have they had horrible experiences with subsurface? Um, you know, we we really want to through the process of completing the detailed engineering study, we want to get to know them better and yeah. find out what's worked before, what hasn't worked. Um, and and historic and historically we've we've sometimes jumped from this detailed engineering study right to capital approval, but that's something we've kind of learned over the years that might not be the wisest thing, right? Yeah, if you look back over the last ten or twelve years, we've done say ninety five or a hundred detailed engineering studies. Uh, say thirty or forty of them became projects, but of those thirty five. There's quite a number where we jumped right from the detail engineering study, yeah. the feasibility study, right to capex approval, and we jumped over. We skipped the feed stage, the st step five. And I, you know, the, the longer I've been in this, I just think we have to we have to really enforce or be adamant that we have to do that feed stage. Yeah, uh, not only for our sake, but also for the customer's sake that. You know, we don't they, don't. they don't have to go back to the trough with supplemental capital requests and say, "Oh, Mr. Boss, I need another million dollars." Right. Right. We don't want that. We right. we want to get that capital cost accuracy more accurate, and that's why the step five is. I think. You know, if you look back, we both know that we need to do it. Totally. So let's talk about that. That's kind of the final step prior to capital being approved. What are we doing there that we haven't kind of done yet, or or what are we progressing in that stage? Um. Yeah, so in the you know in my formative years when I worked for SNC Lavalin, we used to call this phase design development. Uh, most people call it feed now. Um, if you look at the great documents on FEL, uh, this is FEL three. So all the deliverables that you expect are you know clear in the in the FEL document. We're sort of at AACE class three, and this time we're really preparing the AFE, okay. like the authorization for expenditure. It's it's the thing that gets stapled to the proper capex request, 
we're now somewhere between 10 and 20% engineering complete. Okay, cool. Uh, we're starting to maybe start building a model a little bit, albeit a preliminary one. Yep, yep. Um, like a 3D model of, a 3D of the model project, whatever it is. Of the project, yep. Um, yeah. We're sort of in that 15% plus or minus capital cost range, but we're now we're starting to do some like some real engineering. Yeah. We're starting to do some pipe routing, some uh, wire routing. And we're probably also starting to engage with external stakeholders as well. Absolutely. Right? We're, we're starting to get some um, confidence that some of the umbilicals we know about. Right. Uh, you know, I always think about that project west of Hamilton where they develop for years a cogen project and they didn't actually talk to the gas company mm. or get confirmation from the gas company that the gas was even there. Right. And then, so now you can't ever talk about this technology with that customer anymore because they just didn't do that. You know. So this is really, now you've had a, a long chance to think about everything that could possibly go wrong. Right. Um, you're pretty clear on the equipment, you're pretty clear on the contractor, uh, and you've got a more detailed bill of material, better drawings, yeah. better takeoffs, uh, some better construction cost estimates from GCs or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I see it often, like in the in the POCA and the detailed engineering phase. You're probably going through and you're 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 narrowing things, but you're identifying a list of risks. And then the feed phase is about mitigating those risks and you know getting getting a connection impact assessment back from the utility that says, okay, it's gonna be half a million dollars mm -hmm. interconnect, not a million, or it's gonna be a million and not half a million. Right. You know, what's the aid to construct for, you know, the, the gas interconnection? What's, what air permitting, you know, do we need an SCR? Is this, you know, uh, on our gas turbines? What's happening in this jurisdiction? Um, you know, what, what specific permitting requirements from a building perspective are gonna be? Like you're, you're, all those things that we know, having done all these capital projects, are right. risks. Right. We're going through and we're mitigating those and we're putting dollar values against that mitigation strategy. Yeah, but having said that, I still think the feed report should include a section on, one more time, on risks and risk sure, management. Sure, of so, course. So that you know, if there's things that are still causing us some anxiety about what mm -hmm. could go sideways, we're still bringing that to the client's attention, right. albeit that we're at step five. Right. Yeah, I think at the end of the feed, you have totally you have a risk assessment. Yeah. And you you use that as a way to identify the dollars that you need going mm -hmm. forward to mm -hmm. mitigate those risks because you won't eliminate them at that point. But yeah, but the, the execution strategy has been fully thought out at step five, right? right. Like, is this traditional? Is it uh, bingo? Is it partial design build? Is it full design build? Is it EPCMC? Right. And the capex presumes an execution strategy. Right. So um, you know that all of that has been like it's as if we're about to do the project. Yes. Everything's yes. been thought out. Right. Right. Yeah, and that, that's the way to look at it. Is you know we've. We, if it was you and I, on behalf of our client, had to go in front of the CEO. Would we feel confident we've done all all that we can, and mm -hmm. we have you know a budget that we believe in, and we can right. execute? You know, and I, and it, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, it, often we we get you know new engineers involved in a lot of these studies, but it's also very important to have you know experienced engineers who've lived through projects and mm -hmm. lived through you know issues and challenges and risks to also be involved in this early stage stuff because you know they can identify from lessons learned and past projects what to look out for, right? And that's so really important. The feed 
forces you to think about everything. Right. So that you don't have like, oh my goodness grace, we can't even build this because we don't have contractors. Like, right, right. Um, so this is where, at, at stage five, we need a really healthy dose of fear. Yeah. This, everything that we think that could go sideways, we really work on it so that at the end of the day, they, they say, oh, we want to stick with CEM. We want them to do the job. Right, right. We yeah. want to deliver the thermal project. Yeah. And I think for, for our internal teams, one of the important things about project development is, as you've always described it, it's paid for marketing, right? Mm, we, we are having a chance to market our skills and our knowledge and our experience and our prior projects. Yep. And we get paid to do it along the way. Like it's, it's a really cool opportunity to develop projects and get paid to do it. Albeit that it's marketing in slow motion, but, but <laughs> they, they get to see that we have those things that PSMJ says, like we have expertise, we have passion, we right. have empathy, we're authentic, like we're fun to have meetings with, they want to have another meeting with us. But it's a long period for them to really get confidence that we are, after at the end of the day, we're about keeping them out of trouble. Yeah. Uh, and they have to, if they're going to give us a one to five million dollar purchase order for project delivery, yeah. uh, you know, they, so it's a, it's a chance, it's a really, it's vital. And also remembering to keep our focus on the customer and the benefits of yes. this solution to them, right? Right. It, right. It's, it is a little bit easy to sort of fall into like, we're so good. Totally. And but it, we can think those things, but at the end, that they have to perceive that we care about them and that what we're putting in front of them has real benefits, right? right? Well, and and push into what you've always been good at is is they don't get those benefits until they actually do the project, right? right? And so it's okay. Here's the, the the step in the stairway to heaven in the project development, and now let's move to this step because that gets us closer to doing the project, and that Mr. or Mrs. Customer is what's in your best interest, right? So we've we've kind of migrated in terms of how we deliver big projects over the years, but particularly in the early years, how did you manage the the tension between you have you have some like detailed engineering projects on the go mm -hmm. where you're you're actually post capital approval designing stuff so that it can get built mm. and and then you also need to be you know at some point that work is going to stop and we're going to need more work and so we need to be doing the project development like how did you how do you manage that tension me personally yeah oh well remember that i live for the project development right i just want to get equipment on concrete pads. Right. So when the capital, however small or large, is approved, I know it's time for me to back away. Right. Because I don't really care about Schedule 40 and Schedule 80 pipe or number two wire or two watt. Right. <laughs> um, so I, at that point, I just empower others to, right. you know, I am I'm really want to believe that others will take the project to that point yeah. and they'll continue the care and concern for the client's well-being. Right. That we're going to apply the best codes and standards, best good engineering practice. Um, we're going to worry all the time about the oh shits, what could go wrong. But I'm going to I'm going to pass the baton right. off to another team. Well, Martin, this has been a great um, conversation about what something that we both love to do and something that's so important to our clients uh, and to our work. So thank you for joining us in the principal's office today. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, podcast listeners, hope you enjoyed that glimpse into what we call the principal's office here at CEM, and hopefully it brought one or two nuggets that help you think through the stages of developing your decarbonization projects. Until next time, enjoy and stay safe.